everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Give Up the Ship podcast. This is teaching to the Creed Module 3.1, Teamwork and Loyalty. Uh, I got to do this one with Wayne from the Reactors Critical. Uh, if you don't know who I'm talking about, go back to episode 63. Uh, Rick over 2020 is the uh, the episode name. But if you're not familiar with the platform, the Reactors Critical, go check those guys out. Really happy to have his input. Incredibly intelligent human being that is driven uh, and passionate about helping sailors in any way that he can. And just by nature of what he does for a living and the and the mission of his platform, generally focused on nuclear trained folks. But I mean, this guy immediately rogered up to help me out with this. I'm, I'm really excited at the result. So learning outcome upon completion of this block of instruction, the student will have gained an understanding of concepts of teamwork and loyalty and their importance within the Navy and the Chiefs mess. The student will also gain a better appreciation of the importance of chief fellowship and the hierarchy of the mess. Learning objectives, analyze and discuss the importance of teamwork and loyalty as it relates to the CPO creed, analyze and discuss the importance of responsibility to comrades, analyze and discuss the importance of fellowship within the chief's mess, and discuss the hierarchy of the chief's mess and the importance of it in relation to teamwork. Curriculum development references were laying the keel May 2019, Navy Leader Development Framework version 3.0 May 2019, the Blue Jackets Manual in its current revision, and the CPO mission, vision, and guiding principles. Again, really pumped at the result, and I hope you guys get a lot out of it in a supplement to this lesson. Here we go. All right, so like I discussed, I'm going to quickly recap uh, the objectives for this topic. So we're going to analyze and discuss the importance of teamwork and loyalty as they relate to the Chiefs Creed. We're going to talk about the responsibility to comrades, which can be a little sticky, so that'll be fun. Uh, analyze and discuss the importance of fellowship within the Chiefs Mess, and then discuss the hierarchy, which does exist and should exist and sometimes gets missed, that's within that and, and why it's important. It's going to be fun. <laughs> this one's going to be interesting, and I'm, I'm pumped that you're here to talk about it as well. So I'm going to read the excerpt that we'll be focused on through this lesson. So you have not merely been promoted a pay grade. You have joined an exclusive fellowship. And as in all fellowships, you have a special responsibility to your comrades, even as they have a special responsibility to you. This is why we in the United States Navy may maintain with pride our feelings of accomplishment once we have attained the position of chief petty officer. So uh, there's... <laughs> Every time I read these, I'm just like thinking of all the possible conversation points. And it's just like it just fee- it just serves up these underhand pitches of stuff that. Well, there's it, a lot to digest here, right? You yeah. know, as uh, as it says right there in the quote, chiefs are a very unique thing across the military service. You know, you look at the staff and CEO ranks of other services like the Marine Corps, the Air Force, the Army. They do not have the same kind of draw that a chief does in the Navy. And that's because we work in a very special environment, right? Yeah. You know, if you go down to how the Marine Corps or the Army structures their warfare units, essentially, it's all based on being modular. It is, oh, I can just pick and choose. I have a squad of like four people. And really, all these command units are just built to be larger and larger squads of the fundamental building unit. In the Navy, our fundamental building unit is already massive compared yeah. to other branches. The, the smallest warship I can think of, you know, destroyers and, you know, cruisers and all those other weird surface boats, uh, those are still crews of, you know, 100, 200 people. Yeah. 
And so this is the smallest functional unit in the in the Navy, excluding like some special warfare guys. Yeah. And so when we look back at how did chiefs come about, it's because because we have such a large fundamental unit that even on the individual command level, it can really be lost on the the individual workers, the sailors, the E1s to E6s now, of what is the command trying to accomplish. Officers are about fighting the war, employing the ship tactically, training the crew, ensuring that they're ready to, to do God's work should it be necessary. But chiefs are very much concerned with keeping the ship running. And they serve as a very important liaison in between sailors who are just trying to get their work done and officers who are trying to get a very, very different type of work done. And so they're an essential key component in this entire process. Yeah. And I think that, like, the first question is, what does this mean to you? Um, in which I think you've <laughs> you just answered. But the the part that like because I go back and forth about the good and bad of exactly what you just described about how much difference there is between chiefs and, and senior NCOs and other services. And it's like there's a lot of it that I think. Uh, is logical in some ways and makes a lot of sense that it's unique to the maritime service. And so that's why we do what we do. But there's also a lot of things that I think you and I talked about in the last episode that is probably counterproductive and that we we would be best served by adopting some of those principles from the other services. But there's a, also just this feeling of like the pride thing where it talks it talks about it in here, where a lot of the chief's creed, like the focus is on like, it's, it almost feels like we're like patting ourselves on the back a lot as I go through the, the text of the entire creed. And so like there's parts of it that I, I wish were more focused on like humility and people centeredness than than me going. We're so much better than everyone else, because that's what it feels like when I read things like that, where it's talking about like the rank of E7 in the Navy and only in the Navy comes with all these like privileges and responsibilities and that. And, and then they're talking about like the pride and feelings of accomplishment. Not that that's not a real thing that a human being is going to feel, but I, I wish it was there's a little more humility programmed in, but yeah, the the stuff I do want to like, and we're going to focus on it. We're going to talk about it here in a second is the fellowship stuff. So it's uh, the next question is like, what is fellowship and why is it important to chiefs? I, I don't know that that's even unique to, to chiefs. Cause I feel like E6 and blow have that. The wardroom has that. The, the mess has that. Like everybody has, even you have that within a division and then a department and then a, a, a unit. So it's like, I don't know that it's unique to that, but I think the reason that it's probably important is the networking piece of it and our ability to get things done depends greatly on our collective ability to get things done, not necessarily just on me being able to like I'm not a superhero, but I am able to do a, like do and get a lot more things done than than other people because I can rely so heavily on that network. But then we get into the special responsibility to your comrades piece and that it's like, what, what does that mean to you? Because to me, it's like what I, 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 I feel like it's not special. I feel like it's I, ha, I feel as a submariner and, and you as well. It's like I feel like I have that special responsibility to everyone. Like it's not unique to chiefs. Well, I definitely think there's a certain uh, unique sense of fellowship and teamwork within the chief's mess. Right. And whether or not it's deserved is kind of beyond my thought process here but really look at what the chief's mess does on you know any individual ship you know i'm a submariner as well and what i see the chief's mess do is that they are the group of technical experts who 
essentially are in charge of maintaining the ship in a battle-ready state. No one chief is going to be able to do the entire job of the chief's mess, right? Right. Like a nuclear electrician chief is going to have a completely different set of skill sets and background than, say, a fire controlling chief or a missile technician missile technician chief the great thing about the chief's mess uh, if i may even call it a great thing is that these people who are known to be the technical experts the leaders in their division the people who get to say this is how i'm going to run my tiny little part of the puzzle here can sit down and talk and coordinate and have a very in strong impact on the command culture so it is unique in that sense in that it's a group of deck plate leaders getting to come together and find out together the best way to improve their command. Because when you're down doing maintenance every day, you're like, you know, your, your E4s, your E5s, your E6s, your workhorses, they don't really have the time nor the bandwidth yeah. to sit down and focus on those big picture concepts. And Officers are focused on just a completely different set of things for the most right. part. So chiefs occupy a very pivotal role, and it is necessary for them to talk to one another and to help one, you know, help one another out when possible. Yeah, and, that's a, and, and so that's why I think it's an important discussion point. Yeah, that's a really great point, actually. Now that you're you're framing it that way, I think that outside of your technical expertise, like the that part where you not only do you have to come together to either help frame like you're going to be part of the discussion but you're sometimes it's just like you know the triad is going to come with hey we got to do this thing and then you got to walk out of there and make people believe that that's the way we need to march collectively and i think that having those conversations and being that function but also like when a a chief that's struggling being an lcpo like that leadership piece like i i don't know how to nuclear electrician but i know how to lead people and so it's like i can help and have sat down and mentored the crap out of a out of a brand new nuclear electrician chief and a whole bunch of other ones where it's just like you get to sit down and have those types of conversations. And so I feel like that's not just a, a nice thing to do. That's a, the special responsibility part is like, I'm not going to let you fail. I'm going to sit you down every day if I have to. And we're going to talk about, OK, like, what did you struggle with today? How would it go? How did you respond to that adversity? And like, just go over the weak points and help shore those things up so that because when I push that nuclear electrician back out the door, that mess, they're not the nuke EM chief. They're just a chief. They're doing chief things all the time, not just nuke electrician things. And so it's like they're not just the manager of that work center. They're also doing chief things all over the all over the boat and command and whatever. And, and it's like a lot yeah, of times, a lot of times on larger platforms, even or shore commands. It's like, I don't even know that dude's a nuke electrician. That's just some chief that works here. So it's like I, they, they see that first and they're going to react to that first. And that's going to affect the overall like trust. It's and, exactly that, right? Yeah. Like in, in the Navy, there are really three regions uh, or I guess three segments of the organization we go out of our way to openly display. And those are officers, chiefs, and then E1 through E6. Yeah. We make it a point that when someone makes chief and they're wearing the chief uniform, you can spot that immediately. Because as you said, the technical expertise of a chief is just one very small part of uh, the assets they should be bringing to the organization. And it's an important part. Don't get me wrong. But the important thing about a chief is that they are supposed to be that deck plate leader. 
they are the people who should be prepping the vast majority of the workforce. The Navy probably could survive with just a bunch of people who are, you know, essentially senior E6s still doing maintenance, but in more of a planning and administrative role. But I think that they we would be much worse off for it. Chiefs should be endowed with this special sense of responsibility that it is now my part to make the organization better. It is on me and it is on the rest of the people in the Chiefs mess to come together and find out what works. Because that is literally what you're being paid to do. In my mind, when I see someone who has anchors, I'm thinking you are literally paid to be a leader now. That is what you're here for. I 100% agree. And I think that like, so what you were just saying, like the special responsibility to me is like, I I had a conversation in one of the prior episodes, which I mean, I say prior and these are going to be in a weird order because I recorded them all out out of numerical order. But the special responsibility and special privileges to me are the same thing. Like my special responsibility is being in the position to do all the things you just described and, and lead sailors. And to me, the the privileges is that as well. I don't think that they're different. And I don't think I should like when we get into the weird privileges that some chiefs have, like we're like, I, I've never really had my own like sweet parking spot when everybody else can't, or I've never really like, I've never been on a unit where we eat in a different food, in a different place or any of that weird stuff. Um, the next question is like, it's talking about the CPO creed says you should, be proud of your feelings of accomplishment, but we are supposed to be humble servant leaders. How do these seemingly contradictory terms work together? And like, I just go back to the like human beings are going to human beings. So it's like, I, I'm, of course, I'm going to like, I'm going to be proud of the fact that my performance and leading of sailors and their accomplishments got me to that position and that I promoted for that reason. But once I'm in the role and doing the job, like, I don't know that I don't know that that necessarily continues. Like I'm proud when my, when my guys do stuff. Well, I'm proud when, when we got a really great grade on our SMI, I'm proud when the guys promote or get a quarterly award or all of the metrics by which we measure sailors. Like when they do well, I'm happy when I'm able to intervene on behalf of someone and do something good. Like I, I go, I go home happy. And, and I feel proud of that, not necessarily of myself. I, I guess it's kind of the same thing, but like not, I'm not feeling proud of my own accomplishments. I'm proud that I had the the privilege of being in the position to help that sailor, if that makes sense. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I think that's really how you should approach it. Leadership is again, not about you. It's about your people, right? Right. And so the, the pride that you should feel in being chief is creating a well-prepared, high-performing division, mentoring sailors, growing them both as, you know, technicians, but also growing them as people. Yeah. You're, as, as a chief, honestly, and I, you are, in a way, kind of a pseudo-parental figure to a lot of the junior sailors who come <laughs> under your steed. Like, it's a little weird, right? I say that all the time, and people give me grief about, like, I call sailors kids all the time, and I got criticized for it on Reddit, and which, I mean, it's Reddit. I get criticized for everything. I get criticized for breathing on Reddit, but I, I like, I w- I'm not going to back down from it because that's how I felt as a, as a division chief twice, was that I was like, it was like a finishing school for adults. Like, I'm, like I'm, fin- I didn't, I'm not like parenting you like i'm not wiping your chin necessarily but metaphorically sometimes like I, i'm finishing you like I, i'm 
teaching you how to exist in the world as an adult and be in this organization and and do do adult things. You know, like I, I hundred percent. You're, you're teaching them adult things. You're also teaching them how to navigate their way through a completely new and foreign environment. Right. Uh, I think something that's lost on a lot of people when they examine the military is just how consuming and different our culture is, especially in the Navy. I mean, good Lord, the first couple of weeks you show up to a submarine, you are completely baffled and confused and you have yeah. no idea what is going on. And it's going to take you a minute to, you know, get up to speed. Yeah. And your chief is an integral part of making sure you adjust well coming into that new environment. Right. And so when you can get a sailor that comes to you who is struggling and then get them to succeed, you can get them pinned their dolphins. You can get them to qualify their senior and rate watch stations. You can get them to become the technical expert who is now mentoring newer people. That That is one I think you should feel a lot of pride as a chief. Yes. You should not feel pride in being a chief because, oh, look at me. I made it through this. Now, now I'm an E7. Yeah. That, that is the wrong attitude to be taking. Yeah, no, I I agree. I, I like the the moments where you see them doing it on their own. And like, especially when you see like when I see a third class that I built from scratch, that's now submarine qualified and senior rate. And now they're like mentoring another sailor through the process. You don't get a bigger leadership high than that. That's the best. Like, that's some of the best stuff. Uh, for me, anyway, like that's when I get the big, like, uh, big hit of like fulfillment. You know what I mean? Is in moments like those for sure. So the next piece is they like to define everything in these topics. So the definition of teamwork, uh, the cooperative or coordinated effort on the part of a group of persons acting together as a team or in the interests of a common cause. Uh, the definition in and of itself, I feel like it's pretty self-explanatory. They like to, what does the definition mean to you? I mean, I feel like we know what teamwork means, but we're going to discuss uh, some of the other questions. So like w- the first one being why is teamwork so important to the chief's mess, which we hit on it a little bit with the fellowship part, but um, why do you think teamwork is critical for chiefs? Because I I've been in divided messes and I, I imagine you've probably seen at least temporary, temporary division and and the consequences of yeah, so teamwork among chiefs is critical to the success of the command because when the wardroom comes down and says, we need this thing to happen, we are doing this inspection, we're doing this exercise, we're doing this mission, it isn't the officers who are in very much like the high planning realm and execution realm that are going to be selling this to the sailors. Right. It isn't going to be the officers who can who are going to get down and convince everybody, hey, we need to clean for a few hours because the ship looks like crap. Yeah. It isn't going to be anyone else but the chiefs who get to work together and execute the vision as necessary to ensure that we have a successful mission. It's on these guys, the, the chiefs, who interact with their, or should be interacting with their sailors daily, who should be the technical experts, who should be the people that their sailors look up to that are executing, you know, the mission. It should be chiefs working together to present a unified vision of what is going on. So that way, when Sailor A, who's back in the engine room, is asking, well, what the heck? Why am I working 18 hours a day and I don't get any time to clean, but my division's being held to the same standard? 
they can they should be able to talk to any other sailor on the boat and say, hey, no, their chief is making them work the same hours you are. We're all mm-hmm. in this together. We're all here to support yeah. each other. And that's why I think it's important for chiefs to get along because that unified vision, that sense of cohesiveness is important. And if you don't have that kind of equitable judgment or that equal distribution of workload as, as best you can, you're going to get a lot of bitter sailors. And that is that, or I should say that toxicity will ultimately break a command. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of lost opportunity to do things. So the chief's mess, I, I can say, Hey, I need help. I need sailors to come help do this thing. Right. Like a, like a working party for a stores load, which is everybody kind of understands if you're not getting like the civilian contractors come down and help that, yeah, you're going to help load food and they're going to cry about it. Like they're going to complain as it's happening. But a lot of times it turns into like a kind of a joke and everybody's goofing around and dropping my food. But I, I feel like there's a lot of lost opportunity for things like I used to be the guy that questioned like, hey, why do I have to go back and monitor a sparkle team in the engine room? You know, like, why do I have to go clean the engine room for the nukes? But then I got to know nukes better and I got to know I got to see the demands on on your time and like the we pull in and they got to shut down and then everybody like we would always get the cool down. So then it's like I'm I'm feeding them 24 hours a day so that they can then cool down and then all this other. And so they get a crap deal a lot of the time. And then like you're saying, like they're they're judged and the a lot of times the cob especially is judged on cleaning preservation and sewage during things like horses. So it's like they they're held to the same standard, yet they're working these absurd hours. They have ridiculous amounts of mandatory training. They have all these other demands on their time that four divisions don't don't normally have, at least not all of them. And so it's like if I am in the position to go back there and help them out and I have the the people to do so, like, yeah, I, I'm going to do that. And then I would expect that when there's not an ORS, but there's a TRE or whatever, that it's like to the extent that they can, that I got nukes up forward doing the same thing so that you see that kind of stuff. Because I would always ask the question, like I'd be going into a supply inspection like an SMI. And one of the big things is cleanliness, like sanitation specifically. It's a a little different than normal cleanliness when we talk about it on a submarine. And it's like everybody tramples through my space with the exception of like the galley in the pantry every single day, all day. And it's like, can I get more time to clean? Can I get a little bit of help cleaning and maybe some painting? Like, can I like I'd be talking to them saying, can I just get an extra FSA if we have somebody that's able to do that or whatever? And I'd get laughed out of the room because it's not worse, you know, and it's like we have a lot of opportunity to to demonstrate to everyone that like, no, like it really is one crew, one screw. Like we really are a team in this. And when it's your turn to carry the the load, when we're going into a thing that is going to be very heavily demanding of the weapons department or the navigation department or the engineering department, it's like everybody's going to get behind them and push to make sure that we collectively as a team do well, because they're not going to say that the the stupid nukes on board USS whatever failed their horse. They're going to say the USS what like whatever failed their horse. And that's us. And that represents us. I want us all to succeed. And I think chiefs would be the ones that would get that done. Like just, it's, it's, it's exactly that. And yeah, I, yeah, as you said, one crew, one screw. It is about chiefs should be able to look beyond the petty bullcrap in between the individual raids and the individual work center loads and unite people into ensuring that the command succeeds where it needs to succeed. Yeah. It, it's really that simple. That is what teamwork is. I agree. Uh, and I mean, I think we hit the next question is how do you inspire teamwork within your division, department, or command? 
I think that's how you do yeah, it. Yeah, no, I'd like to say a little bit on that. Oh, go ahead. So we talk a lot about teamwork in between Chiefs, but as talking about inspiring teamwork in your divisions, this is really where Chiefs have to rise above the individual personal problems in a division. Yeah. Everyone's going to have someone at work that they don't like. I have people <laughs> at my job I do not like. You have people at your job you do not like. Yeah. Your job as a leader is to say, just because I don't like someone or two people don't like each other doesn't mean they can't be productive in the same area. Right. When we come to inspire teamwork, this also means that as a chief, you should be helping to resolve personal issues where you can. If you know that two people in your division hate each other's guts, you should probably figure out why and see if you can smooth things over. Because if you have a division where half the sailors hate the other half of the sailors, well, now you just have two very ineffective halves of a division. Yeah. You are much less in the sum of the whole. Yeah. I, the, the the not liking someone part in particular is like, number one, I like I don't have to like you to get the job done working with you. But the part that I've frustrates me and that I've, I've seen most commonly is when they just when a division decides they don't like somebody they just start immediately like eating their soul they just ostracize them and make everything about their existence on board a submarine more difficult and it, it took a i had a kid and he was you know he was the caricature of the low as vab struggle to comprehend things cook you know like he he what it wasn't a lack of desire to do well it was just like he's not, he wasn't the sharpest guy, like just struggled with a lot of the understanding and comprehension. And also was, I think he came from a background where he didn't really have to do anything hard his entire life up to that point. You know, like he didn't know what a work ethic was. So he just thought like he had this romanticized idea in his head about what the military was going to be like. And then he got there and it wasn't that, and he didn't know what to do with that. He wanted all of the rewards and the like status and all the things that come along with being a submariner and getting your fish and being qualified things, but he didn't want to do the work to get there. And I, when I got there, I was, I showed up late to the party. Like when I relieved uh, the, the prior chief, this kid had been on board for at least, it was at least a year and a half, almost two years. And, uh, just I, somehow he got his dolphins i don't know what happened but he did somehow i think he failed a few boards i know that and struggled struggled through that got his fish but then wasn't qualified anything like they weren't letting him stand galley watch captain they weren't letting him do anything of value in the division and as a result the division exercised its own form of like caveman accountability where they were just like well if you're not going to contribute anything we're at least going to make your life hurt all the time so they were just like openly bashing this kid like just insulting him making fun of him putting him in positions where he was only doing like menial labor, stuff like that. And they would complain about it all the time too, though. And I'm just like, look, have we exhausted every option we possibly could to get this kid to reach his ceiling, which I a hundred percent understand is probably much lower than most of yours, but he's here. He's getting paid as a third class and he's not contributing anything right now. Cause you guys aren't allowing it. And you're not even trying to fix that problem. So it's like, how about we stop making him feel like he's worthless and make him feel like a valuable contributing member of the team and had to like really convince them of that because they had felt like they already attempted that before. And by... 100%. And that's why, yeah. like, it's on you as a chief to not play favorites like that. Yep. You, when you're an E5 and E4 or, you know, what have you, 
it is, it is perfectly acceptable and expected for you to have your petty differences with your shipmates. Right. You guys live in a cramped environment for months on end and you deal with the same people every day. You're going to get fed up with each other. That is life. However, when you put on anchors, you are no longer allowed to engage in that kind of petty bull crap anymore. Yeah. You are no longer allowed to say, oh, well, you know, that guy showed up late to work, uh, you know, three weeks ago. So I'm going to make him stay an extra two hours today. Yeah. You need to be the voice of reason in a cacophony of immaturity. Right. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I, I think that it, in that situation, it took a lot of convincing to get them to stop destroying this kid's soul. Because I, I basically framed it as like, hey, if I was him and you treated me like that, I wouldn't want to help you either. So maybe not do that and try that. Just trust me and try this out. And it's like we got him to a point where he's qualified and he he could do the bare minimum. Like he could stand the watch with help at sea and he could he could stand at import like he could do an import duty day. And I mean, probably one out of 10, I'd get a phone call that he did something stupid. But, you know, like it, the crew got fed. No, the, nothing was on fire. Like. So it's kind of like we got him to what I perceive to be his ceiling. And it's like, that's to me, it's like the, that's the role. It's like, you got to get everybody as far along as you possibly can. And it's going to take a lot of wrangling, like you said, where I fully expect those junior guys to be punching each other in the face all the time and like finding reasons for conflict to exist because of the ridiculous environment in which we operate. But but yeah, so the, and we kind of tackled this next thing too. It's just the slide with the chain on it and the link is breaking and it says chain is only as strong as its weakest link. So like we've we've tackled like that concept, I think, as well as as I just went on that monologue about that kid. But um, I agree. It basically like it talks about like what will you do to contribute to making this chain stronger? And I think we tackled that. But it says, have you been putting in effort in the CPO process as a team slash individual and it's like, that seems like a really vanilla question, but I think it's an interesting one that Chiefs should be asking themselves, like, really honestly standing in front of a mirror on a regular basis. Like, like, do you just think you are? Because I, I don't know if you've seen leaders that I, I, I've encountered them where, especially Chiefs, where it's like, they probably used to be getting after it and operating at 100, 110% all the time. But they've like taken their foot off the gas and not even noticed it happen. So it's like they still kind of think they are who they used to be. And so I think that's why that question is so important. Like, have you been putting in the effort in the process as a team yeah, and individual? Uh, 100%, man. And God, the, the Navy <laughs> will burn people out. That Absolutely. Is the, that is the hard truth right there. And Chiefs are certainly no exception to this. Right. Uh, yeah. What I would encourage the Chiefs elects who are, you know, listening to this podcast to think about is that all of those crappy days you've endured up to this point, all of those times you've stayed super late, you know, on the verge of, you know, your breaking point, wondering, you know, why am I even doing this anymore? You are now finally in a position where the Navy itself is telling you, okay, if you don't want that to happen anymore, make it so. Right. You are in a position where you are, you can make things better. Yep. And I'm not saying that's going to be easy. It's going to be hard because every single chief that has come before you has probably gotten penned with the ideas of, I'm going to be a great leader. I'm going to do something well. I'm going to earn this. And everyone has had a crappy chief at some point. 
if it was easy, we would all stay in and do it. But that's just not the case. Yeah. And I, I think that's the landmine that people step on, too, is it's like they think they're going to do all those things and don't realize that that's going to hurt. Like there's a lot of times where I had to put myself in a position where it was like I almost winced thinking about it because it's like, I know this is going to hurt, but I, I'm going to put myself in that position because it's going to it's going to put them in a, in a better place and it's going to allow them to enjoy less stress, perhaps a little more liberty or some like just dodge some difficulty that I had to endure that they now don't have to because I made it so, but when in, in making it so that process can be pretty painful. Um, and you end up in a place where if you're not really honestly asking yourself that question, like, have you been putting in the effort? You can find yourself shutting it, shutting it down because you're, you're burnt out. It's not like it's not understandable. I'm not going to say warranted. Like you can't really do that, but I understand how people arrive at that place. Like it's, it's, I've been there and it's, it's an extremely difficult thing to avoid if you're not very self-aware and you have like the type of people in your life that are going to tell you like, Hey man, you thinking about clocking in anytime soon? Um, (laughs) but yeah, so the, the next thing, it's kind of a definition, but they pulled it directly from CPO mission, vision and guiding principles, which for those that uh, don't know are the things on which chiefs are evaluated. Like if you read all the mission, vision, guiding principles, it's a bunch of different things. And it's like, like leadership and history and heritage and all those things. Those are literally what's on a chief's eval. Like it's the little individual traits are the mission, vision and guiding principles. So this one's loyalty because that's the topic is teamwork and loyalty. Chiefs remember that loyalty must be demonstrated to seniors, peers, and subordinates alike, and that it must never be blind. Few things are more important than people who have the moral courage to question the appropriate direction in which an organization is headed, and then the strength to support whatever final decisions are made. This is, I love that and everything that was said there. Um, Not part of the Chiefs Creed. This is just a definition of mission, vision, guiding principles. And I think it, I think it's awesome. So the first question in relation to this is loyalty. It says loyalty should not be misplaced and we must be loyal to the Navy. Got it. I kind of said that already. But how do you build loyalty uh, with your sailors and with fellow chiefs? I think the way to build loyalty, at least among your sailors, is stand up for them when they need to be stood up for. Prevent your sailors from getting screwed over for something they don't need to endure. Yeah. And it, that is more difficult than it sounds. It is. Uh, because sometimes things are just going to happen and the command is going to come to you and say, Chief so and so, get it done. Yeah. And you're just like, I, I don't have the manpower. I can't do this. And so you need to be able to fight back against the command w- when necessary and say, this is not feasible. My guys cannot make this happen. And that situation right there where you tell, you know, even the captain, this is not going to happen. That is why (laughs) you can't lose rank once you are paid E7. Yeah. You are literally given an out in the uniform code of military justice saying, once you make chief, we can't take that away from you because we don't want you to have a severe fear of being reprimanded for doing what is right. And so what I really just want to say here is that loyalty to the Navy is extremely important. Loyalty to your sailors is just as important. But you have to keep in mind, as a chief, you are the representative of your division 
at the command level. Yeah. You and your division officer are really the only people that the command triad and the department heads are really interacting with. They aren't going to be talking or seeing how the individual sailors are doing. Right. It's up to you. Yeah. And as in building loyalty too, I think it's like a lot of times the stuff where I got to get in front of a bullet or I got to do something to protect them. A lot of the times I think that if I'm investing on the front end, I can avoid a lot of those situations, but they're going to happen. Like bullets are going to come eventually. And it's like, that's the type of thing that if you take the time to build trust, it's like it, those sailors are going to become loyal and, and hopefully it's not just to you and it's to the organization and, and the chief's mess, but you can find yourselves in situations where if you're at a quote unquote bad command or you have a bad chief's mess that you might be figuring like you might be just inspiring them to follow you. And a lot of times when you, when we're talking about junior sailors, if they're following you and they're inspired to follow you, it's, it's that it's really what it is. They're doing it for you. They're more, it's almost like, superficially or like second yeah, door effect doing it a hundred percent and sometimes just being a good enough chief or a good enough boss to where someone is willing to follow you even if they don't necessarily agree with everything the command is doing yeah sometimes that's the best result you can achieve yeah and that's fine yep i uh i interacted with a sailor a while ago who truth be told hated the navy yeah. guy wanted out he wanted nothing more than to just get out, stop doing this job. He hated every moment of it. Right. But he would be willing, and this these were his words, not mine, to do literally anything his chief asked him to do because he knew he could trust his chief. Wow. And that, I, I think, speaks to the power you can have yeah. as the leader of your division. If you do what's right, if you d- demonstrate you have the technical expertise and you're concerned with people and you want to make sure that they're getting what is right for them, people will do what, what is necessary. Yeah. They will follow you. And yeah. sometimes following you is just the best result you can achieve, and that's fine. Because I think at the end of the day, the purpose of the Chiefs Mess is to make more chiefs, to make more leaders. Yeah. And the only way you're going to do that is by showing someone it is worth it to be achieved. Despite all the long hours you put in, despite all the hardships you do, you have to show someone it is worth it for you to become a leader. Yeah. And I, I haven't said it that way, but I feel like that's what I try. I'm trying to express what I'm saying. Like when I'm talking about how I think we need more transparency is it's like, not just so that like sailors aren't filling in the blanks on their own with their imagination, but it's like when I'm, talking about like the chief season stuff and I'm talking about like the, the stuff that we do within the chief's mess. It's like, there's some stuff that happens that it's like, I mean, I have these stories of like these moments that are so ridiculously rewarding that it's like, I can't, I can't fathom another career field where I would ever be able to do something similar. And I'm sure they're out there, but like, I I don't know what they are where I, I find myself in these situations as a leader that it's like, I can't, I got to do that. I got to take care of that person and get that reaction and just have that moment of fulfillment that I feel like if we spent more time sharing with the junior sailors, it's like, you're going to get exactly that effect is like, you got people that want to be chiefs instead of just seeing us all as these like overstressed, <laughs> overweight, like miserable humans. Like, why would I ever want to do that? Like, I feel like that's a, the reaction you'll get from most junior listed if asked that question. So hundred yeah, percent. Uh, yeah. So 
anytime we talk about loyalty, we got to talk about blind loyalty and how it can be bad. So uh, when is loyalty not a positive thing? When someone is doing something wrong, it's not your job to protect them. It's uh, it's kind of black and white there, in my opinion. You know, I'm a nuke, so I'm I'm from the the nuke mindset of things. Right. Where if someone does something contrary to a regulation or a procedure, it isn't your job to protect them. If it was an honest mistake and they own up to it, it'll be fine. The worst thing that's going to happen is they might get removed from watch for a little bit, made to do an upgrade. Woohoo! They're back. They're they're back in the game. It's fine. People are going to laugh about it, make some jokes, and. We're going to move on. Yeah. If someone is having integrity issues or is putting you into a position where you think that if you were to say something about this, that it would put your career on the line, that is when you need to step back and say, no, this isn't some, this isn't the right thing. This isn't the time for me to be showing loyalty. I might like this person, but if they messed up, they messed up. Right. And it's on them to own that. I have personally never seen a sailor who has completely owned up to a mistake after making it. No, no bullshit, no lies, no cobbling up a fake story. None of that. I've never seen a sailor who is completely honest get kicked out of the Navy. I've never seen someone who said, I am messed up right now. Yeah. I'm sorry. With sincerity, I've never seen them the, yeah, get the, destroyed by the command. Only time I have was the story I tell about that junior sailor that he was blackout drunk and apparently did coke by accident. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, he made the choices that got him to into that situation. So there's obviously that personal accountability, but it. Yeah. Uh, don't yeah. do drugs, kids. Don't do drugs. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like you can't really. I mean, you're going home no matter what, but the command did destroy him. And I didn't think that was the right way to handle it. I mean, I, he was going to go home no matter what. And that's why I didn't think he needed to be destroyed. But the the other part of it, too, is I think that like you, you get into that weird spot where it's like when when junior sailors view the chief's mess as more of like a mafia and stuff with the blind loyalty to the organization. What you what you find in those situations is it's like like you just described. So like, let's say Chief X screws up does something wrong and maybe it's just procedural. Maybe it's just like some weird ethical thing. Maybe it's, he got a DUI. I don't know. And they try to, the, the mess like circles the wagons and is trying to protect that guy. That's like, it's like one way loyalty where that chief having made that mistake should understand that his loyalty to the organization that is the chief's mess is going to involve him owning that and saying, no, I screwed up. I made a stupid decision. I'm standing by to receive the consequences so that we're not then all like because you're all tarnishing the the reputation and, and credibility of the chief's mess by circling the wagons instead of saying, no, you screwed up. Now you're going to stand in front of a group of people and own that and you're going to mean it because that's what chiefs do. And it's like it, it when you get into blind loyalty where it's dangerous and those people are kind of risking not just I mean, not just reputation and credibility of the organization, but also their own careers to an extent, because if you're if you're sweeping that stuff under the rug, you're definitely doing stuff that's wrong. Um, you find yourself in that position where it's like one way blind loyalty from the organizational side uh, where those people are just like, oh, we got to protect our own. Like, no, you don't. You, I mean, I want to protect that person from 
like certain things where it's like, look, man, I'm not, I'm not like disc disowning you or excommunicating you. I mean, it depends on what you did, I guess. But like, like if you got a DUI, even it's like, yeah, you did something really stupid. That doesn't mean I don't love you anymore. It just means you got to stand in front of the firing squad and, and take that heat. You know, like it's you, you did what you did. You knew exactly what could happen and it's happening. So now you get yeah, to own that. You know, to the, so the chief selects out there, you will make a mistake as a chief wearing anchors, you're, you're going, you're going to mess up. That's okay. It is all right for you to make a mistake. No one likes to see it when their chief mess up. You're not going to like to see it when you do mess up. You're going to think, Oh my God, how did I do something so dumb? But that happens to everyone. Yeah. Just own it and say, okay, I made a mistake and I'm going to get better from it. As long as you didn't commit like some felony, the Navy will probably keep you. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Yeah, you, you're you almost never going to like there's going to be some pain. You're going to be uncomfortable when, you know, the CO's knife handed and yelling at you or the cob or who. And it's like I've been in every single one of those situations and they're still promoting me. So it's like, I don't know. It's not it's not adversely affected me to the point that my career has ended by just making human mistakes and then just owning it. Just say, fall, fall on your sword. Say, I had a human moment. I made this mistake. This is what I'm going to do to fix it. And I'm going to do all these other things to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Probably will. Cause I'm a human being and human beings make mistakes and are foul. Yeah. And you know, you know, just what's funny it. is, you know, the, the joke among junior enlisted is like, or really across the entire Navy is that, you know, to make chief, there are three requirements. Yeah. DUI and abortion had to be to mass at least once. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying you need to talk about the DUI or the divorce part, but if, like, you know, you've made a mistake and, you know, you went to mass as a junior sailor or, you know, you've gotten a counseling shit or, you know, you've, you've screwed up before, but that's a great opportunity when you need to mentor a sailor yeah. and tell them, hey, I've been in your position you can fix this. You can come back from this and keeping that in mind yourself. Yeah, for sure. Like I, un, I unfortunately in way, in certain ways, like not that I wanted to go to mast, but like I, and I probably should have more than once, but I, I never did. So it's like when I'm having those types of conversations with sailors, it's, it's hard to relate in certain ways. Cause I've never been in that kind of trouble. I never even went to DRB. I got pulled in the chief's quarters and told to stop being an idiot a bunch of times. But like I never got, formally disciplined outside of like a counseling sheet. So, um, but there I I've talked to chiefs that have gone to mass and have had those misadventures. And it's just like, it's a different conversation and you have a different credibility and, and connection with that sailor when you're having that conversation. And so it's like a lot of times I end up saying, Hey, go talk to a chief so-and-so and like understand that this is not the end of the world and that you can get back on the right track. And it's not, a career killer to go to captain's mass when you're a third class or a second class. Even it's like, I, I know guys that have done it. There are people promoted every year that have an NJP in the last five years. It happens every year at the chief's board. Like I, I promise people are promoting with NJPs on their records because they recovered and they demonstrated through sustained superior performance and leadership positions at sea that they recovered. It's just like somebody that gets a PRT failure and then becomes like super fit, like ACFL or CFL guy or, or girl, right? Like it's, you've proven you've recovered, like, oops, made that mistake, learned from it. Now I'm the CFL and I'm crushing it. And no one ever fails a PRT at our command. That's, that's how you do that. Uh, and, and 100%. I, th- I think, yeah, I think we get like better, more nuanced and, and experienced leaders as a result. Okay. 
we, and I'm going to hit this question too. I think we've talked about it a little bit, but I think it's important to make the distinction and, and especially it's, it's a hard question to answer in a way. So it's like, are you loyal to the institution, the mess or yourself? Why? And this is my favorite part, which is the most important. So if you got to pick one institution, Uh, mess or yourself, that is an interesting question. Yeah. Uh, To answer the first part of my question, I would say I am loyal to all three. Uh, I am loyal to the institution. I'm loyal to the subculture. I find myself within the institution and I am loyal to myself. Right. As to which one I, uh, I find the most important. Yeah, you know, the, the party answer is going to be, oh, well, I think the Navy is the most important, the institution, the Constitution. And that's uh, it's such a deeply personal question that I don't really see a lot of value in trying to answer <laughs> it with the nuance that is required to yeah. answer it right. Yeah. Uh, you know, if the, if the Navy were to come out and tell me, hey, uh, you need to pick never seeing your wife again or losing your job, I'm going to say, okay, well, yeah, I guess I'm not doing uh, this for a living. Anymore. You know, just give me my two weeks and give me my DZ two fourteen. See you later. Uh, there, there is very, there have been very few times where I've had to choose doing what I thought was the right thing uh, versus doing what was right for the Navy. Yeah, or you know anything else. Like it, it really comes down to not a matter of loyalty. It comes into a matter of giving considerable thought to the ethical implications of what you were doing. Right. When when someone asks you, oh, well, are you just being loyal to yourself or being loyal to the Navy right now? What the question they're really asking you is, hey, are you like trying to cover up the fact you screwed something up or are you just trying to take the easy way out right now? Yeah. Uh, and that's what you, that's what you should be thinking. And if you are taking the easy way out, well, I hope you have a good reason. <laughs> you should probably answer that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I I think you're right in that like you're very rarely going to be confronted in real life with this this uh, gun to your head pick one you know like it but weirdly I think that like what you were saying the party line is institution I think a lot of times that's the answer until you're in a place where either I mean even the mess I feel like that is the institution but like picking between that and yourself it's like. I've made sacrifices that I don't even know how I feel about them, you know, at this point, like it's going to take years for me to reconcile, but I'm in a place in my life where it's like it, it, at first it was hard. The institution, like I was, the Navy came first all the time. And then I blew up the first version of my personal life. Cause I had to check that divorce box. So I did that. And it, like, rank. I mean, it was a complicated situation. So it's like it, w- <laughs> it would end it anyway. It was, it was, there was a lot of betrayal and like whatever, but it, not on my side of it, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. But the, it, it, when you're picking, it's like, I'm in a situation now where it's like, I'm extremely happily married and might have kids and everything. It's like, if I'm in a situation where my wife is telling me that, like, hey, you're doing it wrong. You need to pick a little more me and a little less institution. I'm going to do that. I'm not going to, like you said, if they tell me I can never see my wife again and I have to just go do Navy things for as or you can quit. It's like, OK, well, I guess I'm done now. There's a balancing act all the time. And I think we spend a lot of time talking about that because you're never going to be in a, in a situation where you have yeah, to and, uh, gun to your head, pick one. You know, one of my sailors uh, left the command recently and it was going away speech. He said one of the most important things you could do 
while you were here is take care of yourself. Yeah. And everybody was like, oh, that's kind of a selfish thing to say, but uh, not really. After the knee jerk reaction, I honestly thought, yeah, that was a very good response because it is. If you're not working out, if you're not taking taking your time to decompress or reflect on things, if you're not ensuring that you're not getting burned out, what you're really doing is you are depriving your sailors of the best version of yourself. You're depriving your family of the best version of yourself. There's times where you need to bite the bullet and you just need to you know go in on that Saturday because something has to get done. Right. But that should not be like a normal thing. You shouldn't be always struggling to find more time for other parts of your life. You should be able to find a balance that makes you into the best version of yourself and live your life that way. And so when it comes down to loyalty, I'd say be loyal to what makes you the best version of yourself. And you probably won't go wrong if you follow that advice. Yeah, no, I I hundred percent agree that like the taking care of yourself is going to allow you to best serve the mission of the institution, et cetera. It's it's a, more of a cycle than it is pick one. But I think that like yeah, if you're failing to take care of yourself, you're going to break that cycle and things aren't going to go well. The definition of fellowship being the quality or state of being comradely. Com, God, I'm probably butchering the pronoun comradely, com, comradely or meaningful communication for building trust and fellowship. I never understood the the ridiculous definitions where it's like define this word and it's the quality or state of being that word. It's like that doesn't help yeah. at all. <laughs> like uh, but so the one of the questions is why is fellowship so important in the Chiefs mess? And I guess defining it meaning being the meaningful communication for building trust and fellowship. Like why I, I think we've you we've know, talked about I, this. I honestly before. think we, we touched on this at yeah, the beginning I, of the episode. Yeah, and that's what I so love about this uh <laughs> this curriculum is it's very circular and repetitive sometimes. But so yeah, I in in the importance and fellowship to strength and unity in the Chiefs Mess, we think we've tackled the unity part's probably worth mentioning as far as when we when we're in that position where stuff comes down, right? Like whether it's from outside of the lifelines of the of the command or it's from the triad making a decision that maybe we as a mess don't agree with right like we then have to figure out how we're going to come out of there in a state of unity to deliver that message to the sailors and it's like it's a struggle because there are times where it's like i don't believe in the message at all personally but it's part of my job to come out of there and be able to like deliver the message and then motivate that group of people to go to go in that direction that I don't. Yeah. A hundred percent. Right. Like part, sometimes as a leader, you have to do things you really don't want to do. Yeah. I would say do what you can to resolve those incongruencies before you have to go present them in a public light. But yeah, the, the command team is getting paid to make decisions with the full understanding. Not everyone's going to be happy about them all the time. Yeah. You can't make everybody happy. You know, when the captain says, all right, well, uh, we're going to extend this deployment by two months because the next boat isn't ready to relieve us. That's going to be a tough message to deliver. Yeah. And it's really going to be on the chiefs to be the one to sell it. Like, Hey, we are out here doing God's work right now. Yep. Even though you are probably just as sad and angry yeah. as all of your sailors. <laughs> hundred percent. I've never got to experience the like 
that pain of knowing like I, every every submarine I've ever been on when I was deploying, I was single. It was just me. So it's like I'm not missing my one bedroom apartment and like I'm missing the ability to do some things I like. But it's like it's not that big of a deal. But like then on my last boat, I had my wife at home and it's like I had never experienced that like empty feeling like where I'm like, I really want to go home. You know, <laughs> it's like I I never felt that in the past. And it's like, that's a hard thing to grapple with personally. And then it's like, you got to imagine everybody's doing the same thing. So it's uh, it's a tough thing to deliver when you're feeling that way, especially. But but yeah, at, at unity piece, especially for delivering those. It's like you can't. And we talk about it all the time during initiation season. Like you, you can't, even when you don't necessarily agree with it, you can't go out there and be like, well, the old man said we have to do this. So it's like, it's, you got to own it. Like you're the delivery mechanism. You're the person that's going to make them believe in that message. Even if you don't believe in it yourself, like you have to present it as if. When I was growing up, one of the things that uh, got read to me was a, uh, a letter called damn the XO Hmm. where uh, it was, Essentially saying, you know, the XO said, <laughs> okay, guys, we need to do this horrible thing. Yeah. And then he goes and tells his department heads. And his department heads then go push it on to the division officers. And they say, all right, guys, we have to do this horrible thing. So we don't want to do it. But it's all about the XO. Yeah. He needs to do it. <laughs> or he wants us to do it. So blame him. Yeah. And then the division officers go to the chiefs and they say, chief, this needs to get done. Uh, we don't want to do this. The department heads don't want to do this. It's the XO. And, you know, so on and so forth down to the lowest level. And so finally, everyone at the command is hating the XO. Everyone is thinking <laughs> this guy is the worst person on the face of the planet. Why do we have this? Yeah. Uh, ultimately accumulating. And, you know, I think it was like like a mutiny or something against the XO. I forget how the story ends. But it's a matter of you as a as a chief, as a leader, you have got to own what is being told for you to do. You cannot live your life saying that every bad thing that you have to make people do is because of someone else telling you you have to get it done. Yeah. Things suck in the Navy sometimes. <laughs> uh I, I know at this point, whoever is listening to this, you probably already knew that. Yeah, I don't think that's shocking. But now it's part of your job to, I don't want to say embrace the suck, but take ownership of it. Yeah. Because if you have a bright idea or a solution to make it suck less, you are now getting paid to do so and make that happen. Yeah. You ever seen that? Uh, it's a YouTube video that Jocko Willink put out called Good. No, I'm not. Uh, you should check it out. So it's like the, it's a really great video. It's also an almost impossible mindset to put, put into practice in real life. But I, I kind of always have in the back of my mind, like I try to temper my reaction to things with, with that like theory in mind. It's basically just like, oh, like, hey, we got extended on employment. Like, good. It's an opportunity for me to like go out there and do God's work or like, hey, this piece of equipment broke. Oh, good. It's a chance for us to get better at troubleshooting and and repair of that piece of gear or whatever. And it's like, it's a really awesome You're video. Shut up. Electricians I, fix hey, everything you own. Calm down. <laughs> Calm down. I fixed a lot of my own stuff because I'm very industrious. And I don't mean like actual equipment. I just mean like a leaky faucet. I can do that. Everybody used to, <laughs> everybody used to ask me why I had a dig it tool on my belt. And I was like a, like a multi-tool. And I was just like, because I fix things like sinks and doorknobs and stuff. Um, <laughs> 
So the <laughs> hierarchy of the Chiefs mess is next. So the slides, it's got like a list from Master Chief, Petty Officer, Navy through Fleet, Force, Command Master Chief, and then just Master Chief, Senior Chief, and Chief. And then it asks the question, do we need a hierarchy in the Chiefs mess? Why or why not? And I, I would I would caveat that with just to like eliminate everything you saw from above, like above Command Master Chief. Like just think about like CMC because they're in that mess and then the Master Chief, Senior Chief, and Chief because like they're not really part of the hierarchy of an individual mess. Um, sure. And it's, you know, I, I like to bring a little bit of my college education. Do uh, it. Was, yeah. So one of the books I had to read in college was regarding social psychology and how groups work, right? Like, you know, why is the interaction between, you know, just me and you as two people different from interacting with say three people and how is that four people? And at what point does like the ability to communicate effectively as a group go down? At what point do you need a leader? Well, for the answer, uh, it's about four or five. Okay. When you get beyond four or five people working towards a, a shared common goal, it turns out, unless you have some kind of orienting force, some kind of things to organize the division of labor, you're going to uh, see very poor results. People are going to get confused. They're not going to know what the message is. They're not going to know what they should be doing. And we see this uh, all throughout across the military that we, once we get to a group of four, someone is made in charge of it. Yeah. Uh, for Marines, it's like your squad leaders. At the divisional level, you know, you, you'll have, you know, your own individual work center soups, which I think it's a, we- a little weird in the Navy that, like, we don't really even start having work center soups until they employ, you know, seven to 12 people or so. But yeah, I digress. But rolling it back to the cheese mess, I, I think a hierarchy is necessary, at least in the sense of you need a leader in the chief's mess right. to help divide the labor and take a step back and see the big picture of what is the mess doing. Now, whether or not you need this whole thing of uh, a chief should be more respectful to a senior chief, who should be more respectful to a master yeah. chief. I don't know about all that. But. It's it's And the reason I said like the McPond down to CMC, like it's, it's so black and white and literal chain of command type stuff that I like, I don't think there's much nuance to discussing those, but once you're within an individual mess and you have your command master chief or command SEL of whatever flavor, and then you have like the literal rank structure within the mess that is, is literal, right? Like it's, there's a, there's an authority that I have as a senior chief and a chief's mess that a chief doesn't have. That doesn't mean that we all don't have a voice and it's like people get confused and kind of muddle the two things together where when we're in a chief's mess or like going through the initiation season, even you, you'll see and hear all of the different chiefs calling each other by their first name and, and acting as if we're just a peer group, right? Clearly there's a leader in that CMC and, and probably in a few other like alphas that you'll see that are either mass chiefs or senior chiefs or whatever, or even chiefs. But it's like, there's generally the one leader and then there's the whole mess and that's how it's perceived because everyone has a voice and in in a in a manner speaking, we are peers, but there is also a literal hierarchy that's not either always perceived or always enforced. And what I'm saying when I when I say the the enforced part is like I've been in messes where the, the, like the very first chief mess I was ever in, 
where I made chief. It was a very senior mess because it was a special projects platform that you know you had to volunteer a whole bunch of times to get there. So you ended up with a bunch of really experienced type A personalities. So like I made chief in the best possible environment because it was like chief college. It was like I had all these super experienced, really great type A personalities that were the perfect people to teach me how to be a chief. And within that mess, there was a very, very clearly delineated hierarchy where a handful of us made chief and stayed on that submarine. So we were the brand new chiefs. But then there were chiefs that were on their second LCPO tour with 19, 20 years in the Navy. I wasn't the same as them. That doesn't mean that I couldn't call that guy Alex. But when Alex sat me down and told me I was doing something stupid, it was the type of conversation that I would have had with my chief when I was a first class. Like it. it it's like, hey, that's not how we do things. Straighten up. This is how you do it. If you have questions, ask, but don't put yourself in that position and act like an idiot because you're you're making us look bad, basically. Or like I got sternly talked to on more than one occasion by another chief, like just another E7 anchor wearing chief. But it was somebody that existed much further up the hierarchy than I did. And it, in really healthy, thriving messes, I think that's what you find is like, do I walk in there and I have a voice, but I'm not the same as a chief that has, or in my case, a senior chief that has been doing it longer or whatever, which at this point, I'm so crusty. There's not many of those in existence. But like when I go in there, <laughs> if there's a master chief that's been around for a gazillion years there, I probably have things to learn from that person or like on my last submarine, I had a cop and I, he was a master chief and I was a senior chief, but I had things to learn from him and I did. And there were times where I thought I was right and I put myself in a position to learn that I in fact was not. And there was some times he snapped at me and, and it was a, it's a more unique position as a senior chief in that type of position because I was, I was kind of his backup. So there were times where I would challenge him that he was like, Oh yeah, no, you're probably right there. Or then there were other times where he just told me to shut up and color because he's the boss, you know, like, and even as a as a 18, 19 year senior chief, I've been told to shut up and color by my command master chief or whoever, because that hierarchy exists and it's necessary. That doesn't mean I don't call that CMC by his first name when we're interacting in that type of an environment. And it's this concept of like we all have a voice and in, in a manner of speaking, we're all on equal footing sometimes like in, in a certain way. But at the same time, yeah, man. Uh, there's I, I a hierarchy. I definitely see that like. Yeah. Uh, across the Navy, like uh, I, I had a really unique experience once where I got to sit in a room of very, very senior officers. Uh, honestly, I don't know why I was there. I should have <laughs> honestly done like kicked out way before those guys walked in, but here we are. <laughs> and these are a bunch of, you know, crusty old salts who've been in the Navy forever. And they're all like 05s and 06s. These are all people who have been on their command tour or like post command tour. Yeah. And I watch uh, the, this 05 walk in there, and he's, like, still wearing his at-sea command pen. I don't know what boat he was commanding, but it was one of them. And, you know, he's, you know, saying some crap. And uh, one of the 06s in the room looks at him and just goes, John, shut the fuck up. <laughs> just like that. <laughs> and I'm just like, you can do that? Apparently, <laughs> yeah. Dude, yeah. And that's the thing that I, like a lot of times in a, in a healthy mess a, a brand new boot chief will come in there acting like they're equal to one of the other chiefs or senior chiefs. And it's you very quickly find out that, no, that's not how this works, man. Like, in, again, in a healthy mess, because I think the ones that find trouble are the ones that, that don't have that healthy 
active hierarchy. It, like that has to be allowed. It has to be a normal thing for a more senior chief or a literally like an E8 senior chief to correct a chief or to enforce the standards of or to like let them know like, hey, like you're being an idiot and and, and provide guidance instead of like us just having a, a discourse. It's like, no, like there's times where I'm going to dictate terms to you because I literally outrank you. And that's how this works. Like it's there are times where that's real. And I think in in messes that are not getting it right is where that gets lost, where they just think we're all on a first name basis and we're all brothers and sisters and and we're all on equal footing. And it's that's well, not you, real. you can, you know, I, I want to push back a little bit here. OK, yes, I, I definitely agree. The, the signature of a healthy mess or a healthy organization is where you guys are keeping each other in check. Yeah. And I just want to caution the people who are listening to this, because it will be a lot of chiefs alike, hopefully listening to this, right. that your voice does matter. It your experience does. does matter. Because there are definitely like going to be some salty first classes making chief after like 14, 15, 16 years. Mm-hmm. who are going to be sent down talking to this guy who made chief like, I don't know, two or three years ago. Yeah. Uh, and you can tell him, hey, he's being an idiot or he doesn't For know sure. what he's talking about. For sure. So I, I just want to throw out a word of caution in the sense of yeah, the your voice still does matter. We're all just people here. It's just some people have spent a little bit more time in the uh, the pirate puddle club than others. Yeah, and, and that's I th- I think we're saying the same thing, but maybe I didn't spend enough time touching that point. Is like no, okay, no it's okay, senior chief. I got I, no, I do it, man. I do it all the time, <laughs> chief. Uh, Nick, the EODC that I talked to a bunch of time, I've talked to you that he was on the two fire in the hole episodes and then he was on one of the goats after dark episodes, but he does that to me all the time where he pushes back because he's a, he made chief really quickly. I think it was like seven, eight years uh, in the EOD community. And he's, he's on the other side of it where he's like, no, nah, like I think it's everybody's voice is extremely important because especially those really young chiefs that they, the, the, the E six and below blue shirt mentality is still really fresh in their minds. Um, they're probably a little more up on some of the the newer stuff than the 18, 19 year senior chief or whatever may be because they're younger. They're just younger people. Um, so it's not like when I say they all have a voice, that's what I mean. Like your voice matters and you absolutely need to use it. And there's going to be a moment where that crusty old senior chief is super wrong about something. And it's a two way street in that when one of us is wrong, you absolutely need to hold that person accountable and say those things, even if you're the junior person. But there's a generally what happens is in my experience is that like the the things I'm talking about accountability wise, where like you said, where he's like, I was like, John, shut up like that. It's a junior chief is he's making a mistake. It's very clearly a mistake and he needs to be calibrated. And that's what I'm talking. It's like they those chiefs think that that's not supposed to happen because they're new to that environment. and They don't understand that that accountability is necessary. Not saying it's not a two-way street. It, it, it definitely is. Um, and I've definitely been told that I'm being a big idiot by a junior chief, and he's been right. So, um, yeah. No, I 100% right. agree with you. I 100% agree with you. I just pro- I probably didn't point that out uh, all good, well enough. So, thank you for that. All right. So, with the hierarchy piece, uh, I think we have... We, we already tackled are all chiefs E7 E9 equal. Uh, we definitely answered that question. And then everyone has a voice in the mess. However, rank and accountability and responsibility are not equal. So we've already we've already attacked that as well. So as far as teamwork and loyalty go, I, like, I kind of want to give the opportunity for... Because we're basically at the summary of the lesson. 
any other points that you think should be made? Because these topics are so huge that it's like I could spend, I could do 10 podcasts about teamwork and loyalty. So is there anything else that you feel like we haven't discussed? I'd say the most important thing, if you had to take one thing away from this entire episode, as far as teamwork and loyalty goes, Mm -hmm. is that building your division to have good teamwork and to be loyal to one another is perhaps the most important thing you can do as a chief. Yeah. Because I, I really do believe in a lasting cultural impact in the Navy. I, I totally believe it's a thing. Yeah. There are boats out there who were messed up 20 years ago, and they're messed up today, even though all the people there have changed out multiple times. Yeah, And you, as a chief, will be one of the people who decides what your division is going to look like after you leave you can build up good sailors. And if you build up good sailors, then they will hopefully also build up good sailors. And so when we talk about teamwork, make sure your guys are working together. And if they're not, find out what's going on. Make them work together. You want, at the end of the day, you want a division that doesn't even need you. That should be your goal. Automate yourself out of the process because your division is that damn good. They do not need you anymore because they will take care of each other. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think some of it too that I, I don't think we talk about it enough, but like, especially on, it's, it's weird to say, but especially on submarines. Cause I'm like, I think we have plenty of fun, like, but I don't know that we talk about the allowance for enough as far as like when I'm trying to build a, a team that works well together, it's like making it okay for them to goof around a little bit within the confines of professionalism and formal watch standing and stuff like that. It's like, and I know they're in maneuvering, like <laughs> you're not supposed to ever have fun. Like that room is uh, completely me, maneuvering <laughs> is always the most formal uh, places on a submarine. It's it is maintained <laughs> inviolate at all times. Yeah, I've uh, never seen anyone, any fun ever, had ever, except I've never I, seen any fun. Had I walk in there and break all the rules, but uh, I keep trying to get them to let me touch switches and buttons, but they never, do no, so, no, that, that's <laughs> hard line. don't do that um, <laughs> but uh yeah i it's like i think the allowance for a little bit of that probably not ex- necessarily in watch standing spaces but not and again like but it's, it's like fun is had like when i stay on the midwatch in the control room of submarine like we're goofing off just a little bit but i think it's it's okay to have a little bit of that within the confines of professionalism and formal formality and all the things that we need to do to be professional warfighters. But it's like in order to build a team that's loyal to the cause and loyal to you as a leader, it's like, you've got to humanize that process and allow for those people to be people, whether that's only off watch primarily or whatever. It's like, in the when I'm doing a stores load, like we have fun, man, because it's stressful and it's really hard work, and we're going to work long hours. And it's like I want them to be in good spirits and having fun and focused on the task instead of just like thinking about how much their life sucks. And it's it, you got to build some fun into that, like by pelting somebody in the back of the head with a bag of frozen vegetables or something, and laughing as you walk away. Like it's just <laughs> a thing that happens, and it's like you got to be allowed to have that. And like them locking me in the freezer and walking away. Uh, most of them have emergency escape capability, but still, yeah, man. Like it, it's okay to be a person still. Just yeah. because you may chief doesn't mean you need to be a robot, right? And you don't need to like fundamentally alter your personality to fit within some idea you have in your head, like some character characterization of a chief that you have, like caricature is what that's the word I was looking for, but I failed. Um, Like you like some character of what a chief is quote unquote supposed to be like, you don't have to 
completely alter who you are. Like it's a thing we do. It's not, it's not our identity. So I think that is uh, a big piece of it as well. Um, thanks man. I appreciate you doing this. I, uh, I get a lot out of your perspectives and I know like I got super, super positive reactions from the, uh, the last episode. So I think people will be pumped to hear from you again. Oh, well, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, I'm glad to be back. I, I enjoy having conversations like these. Uh, if you ever need me again, just let me know, dude. Yeah. All right. As always in summary, I'm going to reiterate the excerpt from the creed that this lesson was focused on. You have not merely been promoted a pay grade. You have joined an exclusive fellowship and as in all fellowships, You have a special responsibility to your comrades, even as they have a special responsibility to you. This is why we in the United States Navy may maintain with pride our feelings of accomplishment once we have attained the position of chief petty officer. So we talked about during the actual discussion, there's a big leap. And I think that's what they're alluding to when you're talking about not merely being promoted a pay grade. It's not just another pay raise and slight increase in responsibility. But it's a, it's a big leap and a change in how you're perceived, your everyday life is conducted. You're part of the exclusive fellowship, as it mentions. And it talks about a special responsibility to your comrades and their special responsibility to you. It's important that that's not misconstrued as some weird thing where we're sweeping things under the rug and doing shady things in the mess. Like, that's not what that means. A special responsibility is is the backup, the training, the, the uh, accountability, the networking, the us being stronger as a unit than we are as individual chiefs. The, those are the types of things it's talking about. Though, as discussed during the episode, I mean, we understand why the stereotypes exist. Like, it's not like the organization and institution have been perfect through their entire lifespan. So it's a thing that you you're loyal to the organization so that it can be effective an effective team like the chiefs come together to affect teamwork at the highest level that we can so that the organization continues to succeed it's like i keep talking about that default level of credibility and trust we have to be good stewards of the organization so that as we initiate new chiefs they're not handicapped by the fact that someone else just <laughs> Axel Rose to the hotel room that is the chief's mess, you know, like that, that somebody that came before us kind of spent all that credibility and trust and you're left at a deficit that you have to then crawl your way back from. It's, it's not the right way of doing it. As always, if you need anything from us, hit us up. Don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us. Don't give up the ship podcast, or you can DM me on Instagram or Reddit. D podcast. Hit us up. Questions, comments, concerns, and Of course, feedback. Definitely want feedback, especially on this project with the Teaching of the Creed modules. Uh, Looking for the good, the bad, the ugly, (laughs) how we can do it better next time or improve upon, take away to make better, whatever, whatever it takes. Uh, We want to know. We want to hear from you. So please let us know. Uh, Also, like, share, subscribe, review on all the platforms for podcasting, social media, all those things so that uh, the algorithms can help us get the word out. Right. Tag people do do whatever things you know how to do. I'm sure everyone that's listening is probably smarter than me when it comes to social media. So uh, if you could just help us out because it gets the word out in a manner that makes the tool available for everyone that needs it. And that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening. And don't give up the ship. (laughs) 